And as you're taking your seats, if you would open with me to Proverbs chapter 8. We read the first half of Proverbs 8 last week. We'll look at the second half this week. As God continues to cry out to us to come and to learn from His wisdom. Proverbs 8, beginning in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While He had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when He established the heavens, I was there. When He inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when He made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when He set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside Him as a master workman, and I was daily His delight. Rejoicing always before Him, rejoicing in the world, His earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord." But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. And let's go again to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10 is where we will start today. And as you've uh, noticed by now, we're going to be running from one end of Proverbs to the next. If you want to try to keep up, please do. Um, for the sake of time, I won't always pause and let you flip, um, but maybe you're super fast and you can go from chapter 10 to chapter 26 like that. Um, if you just want to jot down the references and look at them later, you're also free to do that. So we, we just read in chapter 8, and, and as I had mentioned, I think, a few weeks ago, the first nine chapters are discourses in Proverbs pleading with us to pursue wisdom. And as those uh, discourses come to an end at the end of chapter 9, we actually come to the, the Proverbs themselves, beginning in chapter 10. And it's interesting, the very first topic is work and wealth. Proverbs chapter 10, look with me at, at verses 2 through 5. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but He will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully." These verses introduce several themes that we're going to be looking at today. Hard work, laziness, trusting God, dishonest greed. You know, if you've read through Proverbs, you may notice that it is quite positive about wealth that is acquired through hard work and honest work. 
And Proverbs quite often ridicules poverty due to laziness. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Proverbs does recognize other causes of poverty. Things like suffering, oppression, injustice. And in those cases, Proverbs requires generosity and kindness and justice from those with wealth and power. So not all poverty is condemned. <laughs> That's a good thing. You know, my, my dad, my physical dad, was a school teacher, so we were never wealthy. We were never prosperous. But when my dad died, while I was still in high school, we went from a fairly comfortable middle-class life to a single mom struggling to raise three boys living in a trailer park. She went to work. I got a job at McDonald's flipping burgers, and you know what? We had food. We had enough clothes. Not always the finest designer clothes, but we had decent clothes. We had enough to eat. We had gas money. We paid our utilities. There's nothing shameful about that. That's just survival, okay? And I want us to hear what Proverbs says about work and wealth while keeping in mind, once again, Proverbs are general principles. They're not blanket statements for every situation. There are seasons of legitimate illness or weakness or unexpected hardship that hinder our work. But even those exceptions highlight the norm. So today we're going to look at what the Bible says about the goodness and the dignity of hard work, whether it's at the office or on the job site or in the classroom or hurting little toddlers all day long in the home, the hardest work of all, I think. Now before we look at what Proverbs says about work in the context of a fallen world, let's just look briefly at God's good design for work. Okay, so just a real quick theology of work to put Proverbs in its proper context. So our first main point is work and wealth in God's design. Work and wealth in God's design. The same man who wrote Proverbs also wrote Ecclesiastes, I'm convinced. And Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that work and the fruit of work is a good gift from God? Solomon says we are to rejoice in our labor and we're, we're to rejoice in the daily necessities that God provides through it. Rejoicing in work is right because our work reflects the character of our God. Okay, so let's go to Genesis 1 for a moment. In our brief theology of work, Genesis 1, verse 26, as we hear God planning our creation, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God said, let us make humanity in our image. And when God made us in our image, what was God busy doing? He was working. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God completed His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. Do you often think of God as a working God? Jesus said in John 5, 17, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. And we know Jesus didn't just work spiritually. He worked hard physically, didn't He? From his late teenage years until he was 30, he was a carpenter. Now, whether he bought, or not bought, whether he built furniture with hand tools or whether he built houses out of stone, folks, that was hard work. Think about that. that that's God as one of us sweating with us, getting calluses, getting splinters, getting a sore back just like us. Nothing could give more dignity to hard work than that. Or we can think of the Apostle Paul calling us in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, to work out your salvation. Why? For it is God who is at work in you. So it makes sense that as God's image bearers, we are made to work. And sure enough, work is part of God's creation design. Going back to Genesis 1 again, verses 27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God creates us in his image and immediately gives us a job. Fill the earth subdue it, rule over it. Or chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Cultivate and keep the garden. As God's representatives, as His priestly rulers, we are to care for and to expand the place where God and humanity fellowshiped together. So when we get to the fall in chapter 3, the fall didn't cause work, the fall just changed work. Just as the fall didn't cause childbirth, it simply added pain and fear or uncertainty to it. God created this world to serve our needs as we served God. And when we rebelled against God, God cursed the ground to rebel against us. And so now the natural tendency is to produce thorns and weeds, and we survive only by sweat and toil. So since we are made in the image of God, it's no surprise that work is part of God's original design for us, and it should be no surprise that work continues into the new creation. The new creation at the end of time is the return to God's original design with the added beauty of redemption. In Revelation 22, All of redeemed humanity is back in a garden setting with God. There's a river. There's a tree of life. 
And in Revelation 22, 3 and 4, it says, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face. Did you hear that? The curse is gone. But the work of service to God remains. Ephesians 2.10 says, We were created in Christ for what? Good works. Those don't end when this earth ends and is remade. Part of our recreation through the saving work of Christ is to do good works to the glory of the Father. Romans 8 tells us the goal of our recreation is to become like Christ, and we've already seen He's a worker. And then, of course, we have Jesus' parable about the slaves and the talents in Matthew 25. When the master returns, how is the faithful servant rewarded? With more responsibility. He's been faithful in this. I will give him more. Enter into the joy of your master. Folks, eternity is not floating on clouds. It's not singing endless praise songs around the throne although we will do that, but we are going to be busy working, working for God's glory and our own intense delight. So from Genesis to Revelation, generation, that's, that's the whole Bible in one, okay? From Genesis to Revelation, work is part of God's perfect design for us. And then right in the middle, almost literally, of your Bible, we have Proverbs, dealing with the harsh reality of work and wealth in a corrupted creation. So that's our second main point. Let's look at work and wealth corrupted by our sin. As we go back to Proverbs 10, in verse 4, Proverbs repeatedly praises diligence in work. Proverbs 10:4, poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or listen to Proverbs 12:27. A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. Diligence is being careful and being complete in your work. You finish the job and you do the job well. That's diligence. Now, the goal of diligent work is not to get rich. Proverbs actually warns against that goal. We'll see that later. The goal of diligent work is to please God, to provide adequately for ourselves and for our family, and to enable generosity to others in need. And according to Proverbs, as we saw, diligent work is the only kind of work God may choose to bless with riches. Certainly, some get rich through other means, but we're going to see that's not a blessing. That's ultimately a curse. So Proverbs praises diligent work and promises that God will bless it, but Proverbs has a whole lot more to say about the corruption of work in a fallen world. And we're going to look at three ways that we work wrongly in God's world, okay? The title of my sermon is Working Wisely in God's World, but let's look at three ways that work goes wrong in God's world. And the first one is actually to not work or to do as little as possible. So the first way that work goes wrong is laziness. And boy, does Proverbs have a lot to say about the lazy person, the sluggard. 
So I've tried to take a ton of verses and group them into four characteristics of lazy people. Four characteristics. The first one, they are self-indulgent rather than serving God. Self-indulgent. The lazy person is just soft. They don't want to do something that's going to hurt or going to make them uncomfortable, something that's hard. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Again, bear with me as we fly through lots of examples in Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. The lazy person doesn't plow after harvest. After harvest, that's the time to get the ground ready for the next planting season. But what comes after autumn? Winter, right? It's too cold for the lazy man to get out and plow. Now, it's not pleasant enough weather, so he puts it off and he ends up begging. Not only is the lazy person, the self-indulgent person, soft, they're also sleepy. Proverbs 20 Verse 13, do not love sleep or you will become poor. Open your eyes, wake up, and you will be satisfied with food. (sighs) The lazy person is just sleepy. Listen to this tragically humorous description in Proverbs 26. If you have an extra piece of paper, you might stick it there. We'll be back in Proverbs 26 more than once. Verse 14, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. Right? Imagine the sound of a rusty hinge, right? Okay, that's the lazy man rolling over in bed. Like a hinge that attaches a door to a frame, the man's laziness attaches him to his bed. It's just too hard to get up. It's too hard to get started in the day. It's easier just to roll over. Okay, so the self-indulgent lazy person is soft and they're sleepy and they seek pleasure as their primary goal. Proverbs 21, verse 17. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. And then again in verses 25 and 26, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he's craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. He craves, but whatever he craves, he doesn't work. He's addicted to easy. He's addicted to fun. Now, yes, there is time for rest. There's time for fun. But it's a danger when fun becomes the life priority. When work is avoided because it's unpleasant or it's hard or it's inconvenient. So the lazy person, the self-indulgent person, they're soft, they're sleepy, they seek pleasure. Second major characteristic sticking with our S's, He's a slick rationalizer, a slick rationalizer for not working, okay? Rather than seeing himself as accountable to God and to others, he makes excuses. Proverbs 6, verses 9 to 11, 
I told you we're going from one end to the other. Proverbs 6, verse 9, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? The answer comes back, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then the warning, your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. <laughs> okay, how many of you can hear dad's voice coming through the door when you were a teenager? How long are you going to sleep? When are you going to get up? And the answer comes back through the door with a yawn. Just a little more rest. Dad, I'll start soon. Notice the lazy person doesn't flatly refuse to work. They're rationalizing, I just need a little more rest. And Proverbs warns, little by little, your time will slip away. Your opportunities will slip away. And laziness will conquer you like a strong soldier. Poverty will steal your comfort like an armed robber. From Proverbs 6 to Proverbs 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a lion in the open square. <laughs> Sometimes the excuses of a lazy person are just downright ridiculous. They're just laughable, right? Here in the Blue Ridge, there might be a bear in my driveway I better not get out and go to work today. Or this one, Proverbs 14, verse 4. Proverbs 14, 4. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of an ox. Okay, I, I know I could, I could plow more ground, I could bring in more food, I could make more income if I had an ox, but buying an ox is risky. If I get an ox, it might die. If I get an ox, he's going to make a mess of the barn, and it's so clean, and then I've got more work. So you know what? It's better just to play it safe and do nothing. That's the rationalizing of a lazy person. Or while we're in 14, down to verse 23... In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Ouch. The lazy person substitutes words for work. This person is endlessly stuck in the planning phase, right? They're just constantly talking about their big ideas, how they're going to live their dream, how they're going to make more money, and that's all it is, talk. They never just actually go get a job and settle into solid work. Speaking of that, all those influencers, all those commercials out there telling you to live your dream, do what you're passionate about, do only what would fulfill you. Yeah, Proverbs warns about that. Proverbs 28, verse 19 he who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. <laughs> he who follows empty pursuits, that word in the Hebrew is more like frantically chases. And empty pursuits could also be translated fantasies. He who chases fantasies will have plenty of poverty. 
Okay, so this is the person always chasing that dream job out there. No, I don't have time to do this job because I want that one that's really going to fulfill me. They have unexpected or unrealistic expectations of work. And so they waste valuable time chasing unrealistic goals for their work. And God says to us here in Proverbs, just till the land. Just till the land. Just get a job in our context. Just work and you'll have your daily needs met. Now, let's pause our discussion of physical laziness for just a moment and apply this spiritually. I just finished reading a book with some students called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney, a wonderfully helpful and painful book. So let's turn for a moment from the avoidance of physical work and let's talk about spiritual laziness. The Apostle Paul told young Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Or Hebrews 12, 14 commands us, pursue, instead of chasing after fantasies, chase after sanctification, holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Newsflash, sanctification, growth in godliness doesn't just happen. Okay? It requires discipline. It requires pursuit. It requires work. And we we laugh at the imagery of the sluggard in bed, but are we ever soft or spiritually self-indulgent? Well, it's not pleasant to deny my flesh. And, And that sin, it seems so fun. And it takes a lot of time and mental effort to memorize and meditate on Scripture. And it's scary to evangelize. And it's not fun to serve others when I could be entertaining myself. Are we ever masters of making excuses? Well, that's just not my spiritual gift, okay? I'm not very good at that. Or I'll start next month or next year. Are we ever better at talking about growing in godliness than actually doing it? Romans 12.11 tells us, don't lag behind in diligence. There's that word from Proverbs. Don't lag behind in diligence. Be serve, or fervent serving the Lord. Galatians 6.9 says, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary doing good. Hebrews 6.11 and 12, show diligence. There it is again. Don't get lazy persevering in the faith. The New Testament is full of warnings against spiritual laziness. And it's full of calls to be diligent. Let's hear those calls and heed them. Now, back to Proverbs. What's the first characteristic of a lazy person? They're self-indulgent. Second characteristic, they're slick rationalizers. I'm too tired. I don't feel good. I'll start tomorrow. It's too risky, too unfulfilling. I'm still figuring out what I want to do with my life. But sadly, third, they're also self-deceived rather than sensitive to the truth. Proverbs 26, 12 to 16. I told you we'd come back to this several times. Proverbs 26, verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 
The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. We'll come back to that one. He's weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Okay, we see the self-indulgence we talked about, right? Turning like a hinge in bed. We see the ridiculous rationalization. There might be a lion out there. But here's the scary part. If you're lazy and you read this, you won't even see yourself. Why? Because we're wise in our own eyes. Because we think our behavior is totally justified. So the picture Proverbs paints of a lazy person so far, they're self-indulgent, they're a slick rationalizer, they're self-deceived, and as a result, we come to the last characteristic, and I ran out of S's. They are a menace to themselves. I'm sure somebody will come up to me afterwards and suggest an S for that. They are a menace to themselves and to all who depend on them, rather than being a blessing. They're just unreliable. Verse 14, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. They either don't ever get started with the task or they don't finish the task. Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. (laughs) You talk about a hilarious image. Okay, this guy goes to the fridge, gets out the salsa, opens the bag of chips, dips the chip in the salsa, and then he's tired. All that work just wore him out. It's too much effort to get the chip from the salsa to his mouth. Or Proverbs 12, 27. We looked at this a little bit ago. A lazy man does not roast his prey. But the precious possession of a man is diligence. (laughs) This guy actually catches prey. But again, the effort wears him out. It's just too much trouble to roast the prey so he can eat it. Unreliable. Either he doesn't get out of bed to start, or if he starts, he's too lazy to finish. And Proverbs warns over and over again, this kind of unreliability leads to poverty, leads to hunger. And life for a lazy person just gets tangled with problems. Proverbs 15, verse 19, the way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. The life path of a lazy person just gets choked with thorns and they tear at their clothes and their skin and they trip them up and they're constantly depending on others to bail them out of their problems, to untangle them from the thorns. A lazy person is a menace to themselves. They're also a menace to anybody who tries or has to depend on them. Proverbs 18 Verse 9, he also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. If you're given a job to build a stone wall, there's very little difference between not finishing the wall or coming along and tearing it down. 
right? Whether you're in finance business or in construction, sloppy, half-hearted work can do just as much damage as somebody intentionally destructive. A careless electrician can burn a house down just as easily as an arsonist, right, John? (laughs) Praise God, he's not one. Proverbs 10, 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. Like a big sip of vinegar when you're expecting wine, or like campfire smoke that's in your eyes and it just it doesn't matter what side of the fire you go to, it's just always following you. That's a lazy person to those who depend on them. Whether you're a boss or a coworker or a family member, it's just annoying. It's just irritating. How many wives and children suffer needless frustration from a lazy husband or father who just won't work hard to provide or won't help out in the home? And how many husbands and children suffer needless frustration from a lazy wife or mother who just won't work hard to care for her home and her family? All right, so the first way that work is corrupted in our fallen world is laziness. But you know what? Proverbs is perfectly balanced. Yes, it rebukes a lazy person, a passive person, who won't work to provide daily needs, but it also rebukes the wrongful pursuit of wealth. So the first way that work goes wrong is just not doing it or doing it poorly. The second way work goes wrong in our fallen world is the greedy pursuit of wealth. We've talked about laziness. Let's talk about greed. Proverbs warns about greed manifested in at least two ways. First of all, pursuing wealth by the wrong means. Pursuing wealth through dishonesty or fraud. We heard this in our opening text, Proverbs 10.2. Ill-gotten gains do not profit but righteousness delivers from death. Ill-gotten gains don't profit. How did it work out for Achan? Just just keep some of Jericho's wealth that God forbid. How did it work out for Judas, who scored some silver to betray an innocent man? Wealth acquired unrighteously is deadly. Or Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, right? The old saying, easy come, easy go. The guy who takes the illegal shortcut to get rich quick will very likely lose it just as quickly. But Proverbs says consistent hard work is the way God has ordained to grow wealth. Proverbs 28, verse 6. Again, I said earlier, Proverbs doesn't always condemn poverty. Proverbs 28, verse 6. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. Yes, Proverbs condemns poverty due to laziness, but if you walk in integrity and through God's ordained circumstances, poverty comes, that's better than being rich through crooked means. 
And while we're in Proverbs 28, look down at verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. He who makes haste to become rich. So here it is again. Faithfulness in work is what God rewards. Greedy get-rich schemes inevitably lead to problems, Proverbs says. The sudden, easy acquisition of wealth without growth in character is a recipe for disaster. How many people do we hear joke about, all my problems will be solved if I just win the lottery? How many horror stories have you heard of lives and families wrecked after they won the lottery? He who is hasty to get rich. So Proverbs warns against the greedy pursuit of wealth through the wrong means. It also warns against pursuing wealth for the wrong motive, and that would be selfishness. Again, while we're in Proverbs 28, look at verse 8. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. So Proverbs sets up a very clear contrast between the selfish spirit who uses others to prosper themselves and the generous spirit who helps others. Or one more on this topic, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Proverbs eleven twenty four, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man, now he's going to explain the proverb, the generous man will be prosperous. He who waters will himself be watered. Simple proverb, stingy people suffer, generous people prosper in God's economy. Wealth should be seen as a gift from a generous God to be used as a reflection of His generosity rather than selfishly hoarded and used for our own pleasure. All right, so Proverbs thus far has warned against sin's corruption of work in laziness and in greed, but it also warns against the pursuit of wealth or perhaps the pleasure and security it promises as an end in itself. That, dear people, is idolatry. Proverbs 11, verse 28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. He who trusts in riches will fall. Many a person has trusted their riches for security only to see it vanish in the blink of an eye. Many a person has demanded happiness from the pleasure and possessions that riches can buy only to end up hopelessly frustrated and empty and miserable. God is the only source of security. God is the only source of true pleasure. And in love, He cannot tolerate our pathetic substitutes. And He will cure us of that. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Proverbs 23, 4, listen. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth, 
Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Fascinating. I said Proverbs is very positive about wealth when it is gained and used righteously. But Proverbs also plainly says, don't make wealth your goal. Be diligent. Be diligent. Work for daily provision and let God decide how much to prosper you. Wealth is fleeting, Proverbs says. Be careful in the pursuit of it. But there is a far greater danger trusting in riches because riches don't deal with our deepest problem. Proverbs 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The greatest threat to your happiness is not poverty. It's a holy God who is hostile to sinners. Riches will not protect you from His wrath. And that leads us to our last point. Because I think there's a very good chance that you and I have seen glimpses of ourselves in all these corruptions of God's good work, haven't we? We've probably seen laziness in us. A tendency to rationalize self-indulgence tendency to avoid discomfort or anything demanding. Probably seen some greedy selfishness in us. <laughs> Wanting the fruit of my work to please my self-gratification and sometimes giving so little thought to sharing with others. We've probably seen some idolatry in us. Trusting and delighting in God's good gifts rather than in God Himself. So we're guilty before a holy God of corrupting His good design. What hope do we have on the day we give account? And how could our work be transformed now to be pleasing to Him? And so our third and final point, we've looked at, at work and wealth in God's good design. We've looked at work and wealth corrupted by sin. Now, work and wealth redeemed by Christ. The good news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became one of us, acted as our representative before the Father, came to fulfill all of the righteous work that we failed to do, and to suffer the judgment for all of our unrighteous works. Jesus worked perfectly for His people. He worked perfectly for us. John 4, 34, My food, Jesus said, what satisfies me is to do the will of Him who sent me and accomplish His work. John 5, 17, My Father is working till now, and I myself am working. And then on the last night before His death, in John 17, verse 4, Jesus could say with a certainty that no man could ever say, I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. When Jesus opened his eyes each morning, 
He had one goal, to do the work the Father had given him for that day. And each night when he closed his eyes, he went to sleep knowing that he had perfectly fulfilled the Father's work for that day. Not a single lazy moment wasted. Never a single excuse needed. And there was no selfish motive in his work. His only motives were to honor the Father and to love others in what he did. So he worked perfectly for all his people who would ever trust in him. And then he suffered our curse. Because of our sin, God cursed our work with what? Sweat and thorns. In the garden, as Jesus began that great work of redemption, the final part of it, God's own sweat fell on our cursed ground like great drops of blood. And then God wore a cruel crown of thorns as He took our curse and nailed it to the cross and paid it in full. Jesus suffered our curse. And now He enables us to work righteously through our union with Him in His resurrection, all of life becomes new, and that includes our work. In Ephesians 6, whatever our work is, again, whether it's in the office or on the job site or in the classroom or herding toddlers all day at home, now we can work for God with a willing heart. Ephesians 4, that one who used to selfishly steal all that fraud that Proverbs warned against, now they work hard with their hands and they gladly share with others in need. Or Philippians 4, instead of selfishly keeping the fruit of our work, we can joyfully give from the fruit of our work to partner in the spread of the gospel, to trust God to supply our needs. The sanctifying work of God's Spirit in us can change our attitude toward work, can change our goals and priorities in work, and can change our very work ethic itself. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. The thing that takes up more time in our life than anything else, or at least should, for some of you that might be sleep, but work is a good gift from God. It promotes our physical and emotional health. It provides for our own needs and the needs of our family. It provides help to others in need. And it provides for the spread of the gospel and the growth of Christ's church. Despite all of our sin, and all our sin has done to corrupt it, in Christ our work can be restored to its original dignity, reflecting the image of our working God and accomplish His purposes, His work in this world. I hope that encourages you tomorrow morning when you roll out of bed and get to work. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your infinite wisdom. And God, we thank You that You chose to communicate that wisdom in the written word and to preserve it down through the ages 
for our good benefit. Oh God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to respond. Lord, wills that that would choose the hard thing because you've said it's good. Lord, help us, strengthen us to resist our own tendency towards self-indulgence and excuses and selfish greed and idolatry. Oh, we want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ as we are changed into His image. Father, we want to reflect Your character and we want to do Your work in the world. Would You help us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.